Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name is Justin Lee, and I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, all. Hey. And lots and lots to talk about. It is the 22nd of whatever month this is, January of 2022. And our first time on uh, on the podcast airwaves is that how that works i don't know how that works i i still have i still have an eight track machine um we are moving through the, the set of tubes uh that comprise the internet okay got it got it got it so with that said our first show of 2022 lots and lots and lots to stuff uh to cover a little recap on college football, some OU basketball, and we're going to also talk uh, some Major League Baseball and the collective bargaining agreement that is not currently happening. And uh, whatever else we get to. Up next on the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. So starting in the world of college football, you know, last time we had talked, you know, it was uh, going into the U of M OSU game, I believe. Um, I don't think they had played yet. Uh, I don't actually remember, um, but uh, great game for Michigan, obviously. I mean, just, just huge, huge win. Uh, they, they make the BCS, which is fantastic, win their first game, and then it doesn't go quite so well in that last one. So just curious as to your take, on the end of the season, and and where, where does the season rank overall for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think the the it's unquestionably the Ohio State win was you know the best of Harbaugh's tenure mm-hmm. you know at Michigan and a long time coming, frankly, um, and just a phenomenally played game. I mean, just the energy, the the crowd. I mean, it was a game to remember. I mean, the way they rushed the field, um, it was exact. It was what he needed to do to you know, revive uh, any momentum related to, you know, his tenure at Michigan. He literally drops that game, and it's it's really hard to see how that program, um, <clears throat> you know, steps forward meaningfully. So, you know, we're pretty far removed, so I won't go into a lot of the actual game itself, but a big statement win, you know, and then they dismantled Iowa as they should have. Uh, Iowa was overmatched. Um, uh, you know, and, you know, with I'll jump ahead, I mean, to the, the Georgia game. I understand why people were disappointed, but that played out in a not all that shocking way. I mean, Georgia basically did the same thing to Alabama a week later or a couple weeks later. It was closer because Alabama's better and they have more talent. But, you know, Georgia showed that the game they dropped to Alabama was more of an anomaly and that they were the team that they pretty much were all year, which was holding teams to under 15 points and winning by double digits. So overall, I would say a pretty phenomenal season uh, for U of M, and they're they're right where they need to be, and they have a really good roster going forward. So um, I would say high marks, high marks. They're like the best season they've had since '97. I can't disagree with anything that Brandon has said there. Uh, it was a tremendous win against Ohio State. They went in, and I think, again, uh, and we talked a little bit on the last show of past Michigan teams. Um, while you would have thought that they would have been an absolute favorite and they would have followed through against Iowa, 
he almost seems like it would have been a Michigan Jim Harbaugh team to fumble that game uh, in some nature. But they went in Indianapolis and and they did the job and and they continue and, and the features of that game were exactly what were happening most of the year, uh, taking advantage of their speed on the outside, the tremendous running game, the tremendous job that the the uh, offensive line has done, and the great job that the uh, front seven of on their defense has done. That got highlighted again in that game. I have to tell you. Based on what I saw in Georgia and based on what I saw in Michigan, I actually thought personally, and I'll I'll take the egg on the face, I thought the Michigan-Georgia uh, game was going to be a lot closer than it was to the point that I thought maybe Michigan would be able to pull the game off. Though there are a couple of warning spots, to be honest with you. Um, I did endure one of the worst pieces of television on ESPN when they did do the, uh, you know, the tournament presentation show and whatever. There was one key point that I thought that got put out there, and it was right before the announcement. And the question was, if Nick Saban and Alabama are the number one team going into the the playoff, they were going to be able to choose between Dallas and Miami. And everyone knew that Nick Saban was going to be able, he was going to immediately pick Dallas because there was less uh, um, uh, distractions on that. And I was very concerned, especially as we were heard, hearing Scuttle that, you know, despite all the uh, um, um, preparation and all, all the uh, different tasks that were being done in order to avoid COVID in Miami, I was still kind of concerned. And it, it, it still seemed to be that the players were still somewhat social and, and whatnot. And I was very concerned that they were not with that big gap having the momentum that they had from the Ohio State game and going forward, they were not going to necessarily be able to maintain that momentum. Now, that's not to say that I thought after the game and watching it with my two eyes that I didn't think that Georgia was there. But I just think because of the game plan that they were not able to execute very and, and not even able to roll out, you know, McCarthy and, 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 and from quarterback play, it was really kind of – and especially – after I saw that offensive line, how dominant they were to be so undominant going in, I was really kind of flabbergasted. And it just seemed like all those things kind of added up to what the result ended up being. Yeah, I mean, Adam, I don't think it's unfair to to think that or to have thought that Michigan would be very competitive in that game. The problem is that Michigan had to play the same caliber of game they played against Ohio State to be competitive. And that's tough to do. I mean, Michigan had a bruising schedule down the stretch, and, you know, they were at Penn State, at Maryland, at home against Ohio State, Big Ten championship game against Iowa, then Georgia on the road again. Like, I mean, that's, that is a slog. That is a real slog. And just emotionally, how much can come out of a team, you know, with the back-to-back games against Ohio State and Iowa, they meant so much that I think that, you know, if Michigan would have played a close to perfect game, could they have beaten Georgia? Absolutely. Absolutely. They could have beaten Georgia, but you know, to bring that same caliber of play three weeks in a row against three ranked opponents, you know, and then with Georgia, I, you know, it was just, it was just a bit too much, but one of my biggest takeaways from that game is, is really, you know, the quarterback controversy for next year. You know, I have been one that has been frustrated uh, by the rotation of quarterbacks and especially in the Michigan state game and messing around with McCarthy, but he showed that he had the physical talent 
to actually put Georgia back on their ropes. And that's what they needed. Uh, and you wonder if, you know, Michigan thinks they have a team capable of getting to the playoff again. And I think they might have a shot, you know, does that push them more towards McCarthy, you know, as the option, because he does have, he is the boomer bust, uh, you know, caliber guy, you know, what you're going to get from McNamara. Um, but with McCarthy, the ceiling's so high. I am going into the next season and Justin, you're asking, well, where, where does this put Michigan going forward? Uh, the real question I think to me is going to be, how do you adjust to no longer having Hutchinson and, and Jarbel there in, 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 in that front seven? I thought Jarbel would stay. Maybe it was strategically probably a good idea his side to leave without Hutchinson being there. I don't know. I'm not that smart. Um, but saying all that, uh, that defensive front seven was dominant. Um, and the real question, and I think, you know, we got it at this point. I mean, there's a little bit of smoke that you have to give a little bit of consideration as to whether or not Harbaugh will even be there next year. Now, I think for sure he'll be there. I think for sure he'll be there. And I think he'll maintain that coaching staff the best way he knows how. But, you know, I think there's some negotiation going on. I think a lot of it has less to do with Harbaugh and more about, him trying to influence the way the university is going to operate going forward. But I think in general, this is, uh, I think, especially uh, with Harbaugh in his, in his personality, now having the right coaches there on staff to make things happen and probably going to be able to more effectively recruit based on being in the playoff. I think that, and, and again, I think that track record is less about next year, but what we see over the next two to three years. And I, I think that this is a team, now that they've kind of figured out some of their uh, uh, drawbacks, they, and I think they've resolved them, I can see them go back to the playoffs in the next two to three years again. That was the other thing I was going to ask about was, you know, how real are the Harbaugh rumors? Uh, they've come from a few different places. Um, it just it seems like they pop up. I don't. I don't know about every year, but very routinely seem to pop up. And yeah. you know, the question is: Is he a Nick Saban type who's just going to stay in college football, or is he eventually going to bounce back into the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's important to remember, and he may go. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he will. I. I mean, the Raiders are. A pretty good football team, but you know I don't know if they've got a long-term, you know, you know, long-term capabilities there. Uh, They might be playoff caliber for the next year or two. Um, But you know, I think the the bigger issue here is you know he took a big pay cut before this season, and Mel Tucker and a handful of other guys in college football just got you know hundred million-ish dollar deals, and he just took his team to the playoff and beat Ohio State. And so, you know, I wonder how much of it is, you know, he's really flirting with the Raiders or how much he's angling for, you know, a five to seven year deal, you know, worth about 80, 85 million. Um, so if, if he stays another year and wins 10 games, he'll for sure get that. He might get that anyways um, in an attempt to keep him from flirting with the NFL. Because I do believe the NFL, rightly or wrongly, will hire him again. Uh, I, I don't know they should, but they, I think they will. Especially the Raiders, Will. I I think that Harbaugh would absolutely avoid 
the Raiders organization that in my mind is a dumpster fire. I, I, and I think he knows that. And I think the problem if for a Harbaugh is there's so few good organizations in the NFL at this point that it, all he's doing with the Raiders, if in fact he is, is, is any sort of conversation, it's leverage for him to stay at Michigan. I, I really, really, truly believe he's had enough of the NFL. He does not want to go back. Fair enough. Because, because I think it would be very, and I think he knows what good organizations are out there. And he worked for a very good one in San Francisco. And I, I think he knows the Raiders and about another 25 other teams aren't worth going to. So, You're saying the Lions aren't a good organization? Oh, I just, I just don't, I don't think there's a lot of good NFL <laughs> organizations yeah. here yet. Definitely. Um, one other thing, let's just touch real quick on MSU. Uh, what, what, what marks are you given for them? Obviously a very successful end of the season. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a minus, I mean, great year for them. Um, you know, I am not as high on their bowl win as others are. It's no fault of theirs. You know, they didn't have Walker. Pitt didn't have uh, Lockett or Pickett or whatever his name is. The quarterback, you know, uh, both of, both of those guys are Heisman caliber, even though, um, you know, uh, what's his, uh, Walker wasn't uh, nominated. Um, but a great year, a great year. I think I think people just need to temper expectations. I think the transfer of Kenneth Walker, le- you know, elevated that team uh, to that 10, 11 win ca- category. They're not going to necessarily have that coming behind him again. Uh, and so there might be a little bit of a, you know, they might fall back a little bit, you know, in a very competitive big 10 to, you know, eight, nine, eight or nine wins, but, uh, Mel Tucker off to a great start. I, I think there's going to be two parties. They're going to, there are some parties to go that well, Tucker, that was a fluke and it won't happen again. Those people are wrong and they're wrong because I think Tucker absolutely beyond shadow of a doubt can recruit with the best of them. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think that's. Do, do not try to go down that road. Um, then there's going to be, well, you know, they'll kind of inflate Tucker. Um, and I think that's just going to be challenging just from the fact that, uh, um, again, it's a Big Ten team, not an SEC team. Um, but I expect Tucker will be there for a very long time. And I think he's going to do better than a good amount of the people uh, who are predicting he will do better next year will be tough. But again, with that transfer portal and his ability to recruit, I, I'd be very careful about putting anything against him, trying to read what, what happened this year. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's a fantastic coach, a really good recruiter. And I think people, you know, his, his resume really flew under the radar for folks. Like you gotta understand, I mean, this guy had, you know, a decade plus experience in the NFL. He also has SEC experience, Georgia and Alabama. I mean, this guy has serious pedigree. And when you when you add in the fact that he can recruit, I mean, you know, this is this this has Michigan State well positioned for the future. And, and keep in mind too, by the way, that Georgia team that that beat Michigan pretty handily and Alabama, a good number of those guys were recruited by Mel Tucker. And I think that's we cannot dismiss that in the least. Recruiting is the name of the game in college football. I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's such a huge, huge piece. Well, I'll tell you everything, too, with Mel Tucker. I mean, even when you looked at that Penn State game where they had so many so many guys that weren't playing, and for them, and I mean, I'm not the biggest Franklin uh, supporter of all time, but for them, as many people as they had out, for them to be able to pull out that win, 
wow. I mean, that, that, uh, I, 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 that's where you, you know, that's almost like of all games I look at and I go, oh boy, uh, I think Tucker is the real deal just based on that game. So staying in the world of college sports, you know, let's move on to our alma mater, Oakland University and the men's basketball team. And where I wanted to start with that is uh, from each of you individually, uh, you've both said separately that this is a different team than in years past. And I just, I guess, wanted to start on that front. You know, what makes this team different? And, and the one thing I wanted to say off the top, obviously, we, we want to talk about Jalen Moore, but also Jamal Kane and, and how impressive uh, he's been. But anyway, uh, take it away. Uh, just a couple thoughts here. One, we talked about Jamal Kane quite a bit on the last show. His potential possibility be a one and done at OU, go on to the NBA. He has that type of talent. He hasn't done nothing to take away from that analysis that we gave on the last show, right? And, and, and that's that. Um, when I look at this team, though, and again, Jalen Moore, uh, he's a guy getting a lot of recognition, even from a guy like Jay Billis. And Jay Billis is the best of the best. When, when in, in his field, and maybe the best of the best in all sports analysis, right? He he loves Jalen Moore's game and thinks it's, it's boundless with potential. But then you even look at today's game. You got Townsend that just goes out and gets 23, uh, you know, and, and really coming back after a road loss, uh, you know, uh, uh, on Thursday, right? Um, the, 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 the point being is that I just feel, Brandon, that this team – if one guy can't do it, another guy will do it. And if another guy will, can't do it, another guy will do it. And that's just the way, you know, and right now it's, it's four guys. It's Moore, Kane, Parrish, and Townsend. And I just I just really honestly believe that it is, is deep. With, again, the same concern I always have is I, I would like to see one more player in the rotation. I, I don't – it's just one more – but it is what it is, Brandon. Yeah, I, um, I'll i take, you know, my remarks in a little bit a different direction just because Adam's covered, I think, you know, a couple of the big points. Uh, the first thing I was going to bring was Trey Townsend. Um, he is just so consistent. He eats up so many minutes. We're talking about a guy who's very quietly averaging 15 and 6. And that's being a guy that's not going to get the ball first. You know, that's got you got more, you got Kane. I mean, he has been dominant. He dominated Cleveland State on the road with Jamal Kane following up. He dominated them. They could not stop him. And, you know, t- today's game was one of the most physically painful games I've ever watched. But he pretty much did the same thing, you know, uh, to Green Bay today. He's just such a good defender. He's so, you know, kind of lengthy. Um, great rebounder. You know, and I think so, you know, my couple of big, big takeaways – uh, Adam hit on the first one. I got four guys, and you know, Greg Campy is not a guy that makes outlandish statements about his team. He's a pretty humble guy, frankly, and he thinks he has four of the ten best players in the conference. And I think he's probably right about it. He certainly has three of the best five or six players in the conference in Towns and Kane and Moore. And so there's that right there. Uh, Kane does have NBA. Certainly, he's a pro. I don't know if he's a you know an NBA pro or not, but he's a pro. Uh, the other thing is they play a really nasty set of zone defense just nasty. And they put Kane up at the top of the key and his athleticism and his length 
gives people, I mean, he, it's, it gave uh, Oklahoma State trouble. It gave West Virginia trouble. Uh, you know, it didn't necessarily work against Michigan State or Alabama, but I mean, it can befuddle, you know, power five teams. Um, and, you know, the other thing I would, I would just bring up is the evolution of a couple of other guys, you know, uh, the biggest being Blake Lampman. Blake Lampman is a really good defensive basketball player. And when you looked at him the last couple of years, you know, so, you know, just undersized, you know, and he, he could shoot, but it was just a liability on defense. He is a really good uh, off the ball defender, uh, you know, and, and really creates a lot of turnovers in that zone. So, you know, I would say unquestionably, this is the most talented team they've had since uh, I think 2011 when they went to the tournament with uh, Benson and almost knocked off Texas. Um, my concern is the same as Adams. They, they, they play these guys 38 to 40 minutes a game. And my concern is that they run out of gas by tournament time, by you know horizon tournament time, and, you know, maybe lose a close one to one of the other good teams in the league. But if they make it into the tournament, I believe that they can make it to the second game. I believe they can knock off a four or five seed. I'm quite confident of that. Yeah. The only, the only downside of this, and I'm not going to say anything you haven't already said is they're, you know, a turned ankle away from a real problem. Uh, Cause they really are only playing six guys. Uh, and then the, you know, guys come in for quick, you know, little moments here and there. Yeah. Um, and four of those guys score all the points, uh, arguably even three. So it's, it's that part of it, you know, is worrisome, but it's really nice to see the team just play really, really well. Um, and I don't know. I feel like this is the, the, the version of the team we were supposed to see maybe 10 years ago when, when they really started, it's actually even probably longer than that. You know, when they really started playing the, the heavy pre-conference schedules and things of that nature, which they did a great job in that. Obviously Oklahoma state, you mentioned Brandon, um, you know, was just a big win. They did a great job. Yes. They got crushed by Alabama, but okay. Um, and then, you know, they played a very decent game against MSU. I mean, yeah, they just didn't defend anyone. <laughs> details, details. Um, but then they've they've gone out and they've done a great job. You know, including that Cleveland State win. Um, you know, that was that was a really big win, and they've only lost one conference game. Um, can't argue with any of that, Adam. They got Wright State coming up for two games, and then the last uh, game of the year is Cleveland uh, uh, State. And the uh, I, I would go back to that Michigan State game, and I think the the inopportune thing there was is that Michigan State was kind of lost out there for a little bit, starting to season. And I think it was about two games before that game. All of a sudden, they kind of figured out what they were supposed to be doing. Uh, and, and mind you, I mean, you, I, I think you know, if you ask Coach Scampy, he would want if he wins that game, he wants to be able to play. Michigan State playing good basketball, um, you know, and, and I think, and I mean, Brandon, I can see with a lot of confidence, even now, I think Oakland would have a very good chance, if not in the 80 to 90% chance of being a Michigan team at this point who looks, somewhat, I know we're talking OU, but uh, I know that they would be able to have a very good chance against Juwan Howard's uh, roster at this point. Yeah, I know. I mean, they're capable of really – really challenging uh, power five teams that aren't in that upper echelon of, you know, the, the power five group. And yeah, I think they're well on their way to a 21 season uh, with the way things are shaking out. And if they do sure. that and they win the, and they, they handle business in the horizon league tournament, 
you're really you really have a good chance at a 12 seed. Uh, with their we have one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the country. Uh, you know, really, if not for that that dropped game against uh, Bowling Green, which was very close, I think it was a one-point game. I mean, they their resume would be really impressive. Two stats I want to point out in terms of recognition for Oakland. Um, prior to their loss in Milwaukee, they were uh, ranked 68 in net rankings in the entire country, um, which is impressive. Wow. Uh, to Adams Point, Michigan, it was ranked about 65. Uh, in the net rankings. Uh, and then the other thing was yeah, there is a, in the um, mid-major rankings that come out uh, less publicized, Oakland's been hanging around nine or 10. Uh, and that is a, a list that includes Gonzaga. It is a list that includes Loyola Chicago, which are tournament, you know, tournament caliber teams. So uh, two, you know, two stats that really stood out to me, like this team is getting significant recognition and uh, I'm just really excited. I mean, they're, they're putting together wins. They are in the teeth of their non-conference schedule. Uh, you know, they just won three out of four on a road a road trip, and they end the season with five consecutive home games. And so, oh, wow. you know, yeah. they're really in a position to get close to 25 wins if everything shakes out the way they want it to. And that is uh, – that's really impressive. Uh, so. And it does help – and this is obviously putting the cart before the horse, but it does help – getting that recognition when it comes tournament time that if they do get into the tournament and a team and, and the, the pundits have been looking at them all season, that does increase their chances of a higher seed uh, of that. There's no question, but they still got business to do uh, for quite a while before that. They, they do, they do. But uh, every day, you know, they're getting more help every, you know, every time the Michigan state gets a win, you know, every time the Alabama gets a win, Oklahoma state just beat Baylor. Mm-hmm. So some version of that Oklahoma State team was capable of beating Baylor. So I don't know. Certainly that wasn't the team that played Oakland. But Did somebody just, tell Baylor that it was a tournament game or what? I don't know. Well, that, it was pretty early on, too, if you remember, because that was I mean, one of the first games that they played without Kate Cunningham, which uh, yeah. I think we can all agree is um, a, a bit of a loss to any college program. So. Absolutely. But, yeah, I think the, the point remains. And um, I, you know, I just – I hope that they 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 keep it together uh, and and ward off the transfer portal um, because if they do, I know they're going to lose Kane. But mm-hmm. Micah Parrish, like people, I, I think he's just so uh, unseen. I mean, he's a guy that's still averaging ten points a game and incredibly athletic. And if they can manage to keep Townsend and Parrish together uh, for another go, and you'll know, see what Moore decides to do. This team, you know, like they 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 got real potential again. Yeah, both Townsend and Parrish are still technically freshmen. That's right. Uh, Second-year freshmen. So, I mean, if they choose to stay, there could be a long, happy history there. Yeah. You know, and just to kind of go back to the subject that we've we've just about beat to death is the whole, you know, short roster uh, that, uh, um, you know, the short, uh, um, you know, lineup, if you will, with only having, you know, six, seven players out there. And I'm wondering if that's something where, uh, Campy is really focusing on trying to maintain that so his program is, is viewed as if you come here, you are absolutely going to get playing time. There's no confusion uh, about it if you earn it. Problem though is you've got a bunch of guys on the, the roster that may have been told the same thing and they're not getting that time. So I, I don't know. It, it, uh, it's an interesting thing to watch and you're absolutely correct. I mean, the, this transfer portal has been really rough to this team, but at the same time, they've absolutely taken advantage of it as well. So, Yeah, I mean, I think the, and I brought this up a few shows ago, but 
my biggest point of confusion this year is what is going on with Zion Young. I was uh, just this is a bring major it. contributor to this team uh, last year, and a guy that frankly carried them at times last year um, with his three point shooting. And a streaky guy, and not a great defender, but certainly capable of eating up minutes. I mean, uh, so I, that that has been you know confusion, but. They they do have a seven seven person rotation. Uh, you know Conway gets some minutes here and there. So does Shepard. It's enough, but I would like to see Campy give these guys a rest uh, in some of these games and maybe you know drop a game that they wouldn't necessarily need to just to give these guys some time. You know, Jamal and I was... at, Joel Kane went twenty 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 today, uh, and but he looked exhausted all game, start to finish. He was dragging, and he's just so much better than all the rest of the humans out there that it didn't matter. But he looked exhausted, you know, and I think you could kind of see it with some of these other guys, too. Like, they could have won this game by 25 today, but they just looked tired. And, and I was given the homework assignment from the last show about Zion Young, and all I can say is I didn't really find anything from a news perspective, and he has not played in 2022 at this point. His last uh, game was against Robert Morris, uh, and uh, last considerable minutes was against uh, Bowling Green um, on the 7th of December. So I, to your point, I, I just would like to see a little more depth on this team, but we've beat that point to death. So. Yeah, it was yeah. almost 20 minutes a game last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Played every game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Don't know. But Campy has his way about things, and I'm sure there is a part of the story we don't know. For sure. Cor- correct. And COVID did ravage this team early in the year, and you wonder if some of the players, you know, it could be that Young was one of those guys that, you know, got COVID. And, you know, his recovery has been slow. There's instances of that across college basketball. Okay. You know, Brandon Johns Jr. Uh, is still out, you know, at Michigan. We'll see if he plays tomorrow. But just from COVID, just can't get that energy uh, level, the energy levels back up to compete at that level. Yeah, for sure. So moving now on to the big four, and um, we'll, we'll start in baseball land. And, and Adam suggested that I – I offer my Valentine for Rob Manfred. So I will say roses are red, violets are blue. I hate Rob Manfred. You should too. Um, But in all seriousness, uh, the collective bargaining agreement in baseball is the biggest threat that they have had in a very long time. This is the most legitimate threat to there being an actual missing of time for the first time in a very long time. Uh, the players have kind of taken it on the chin in the last few bargaining agreements because they just wanted to be on the field, and they felt that that was the way to go. This time around, they are definitely taking a much more aggressive uh, position. And Major League Baseball, um, as is usual uh, when the owners are involved, uh, have taken some very disingenuous positions. You know, when they announced the lockout back in December, Manfred his announcement was, look, this is a proactive action. We just want to jumpstart negotiations. Uh, you know, this is procedural almost. And then they did not make an offer to the Players Association for 43 days. So uh, w- when you do things like that, how could you be taken seriously? Um, and so here we are. And there's really been no 
I don't want to say no meaningful progress. They have made progress on a few issues. Um, the problem is, is where the owners have given, they've also taken away. Uh, one of the big complaints of the Players Association is, you know, they want to be able to, to have major league players make their money sooner. And, and as has gotten a lot of press over the last few years, minor league players make peanuts. I mean, truly make peanuts. So the players union is like, well, if you're not going to fix that, pay our guys sooner instead of essentially six years of team control. Let's, let's kind of bump that timeline up, increase some minimums. And the owners were like, okay, we can increase the minimums, but we're getting rid of arbitration and it's going to be formulaic based on people's statistics. That's never going to fly in a game like baseball. Um, and, and so it's like, okay, why are you even proposing that? Additionally, the owner said that they will not discuss any rule changes now other than the DH, which, which is going to happen. It's going to be universal. But there's no, no negotiating about rule changes. So it means the clown car rule is still going to be in effect and some other things. Um, everything right now is economic, essentially. And they just don't... It's just not much of anything. Uh, a few changes, though, that, that are in the process of happening are uh, the draft. Obviously, um, they're going to go to a lottery system now. Players actually wanted an eight-team lottery. Owners want a three-team. They'll figure that out. Uh, and you can't be in the lottery three successive seasons. So I'm sorry, Florida Marlins, but this is just nothing we can do about that. Um other things uh, that they've agreed to, um, you know, some change obviously to the financial structure has been agreed to, but the playoffs, uh, that has been the biggie. Uh, this is the one thing the owners really, really want, and that's the expanded playoffs. Unfortunately, right now they're sitting at about 14 teams, so yay, let's just be like, you know, let's go to Ridiculousville. Um, you know, players are at 12. Um, just let's just not have any more one game playoffs, please, for the love of God. It's baseball, not every other sport. So anyway, from a very high level, that's where they're at. But they are very, very far apart on financials. The MLBPA uh, is going to be presenting their latest offer on the 24th. So I guess that's Monday. Um, but. We're, we're, we're getting to it. I mean, we're a month away, less than a month away from spring training. And I can't say with any good bit of good conscience that this is going to be done by then. I would be shocked, quite frankly. I, I don't I, I don't know what good comes out of that. No good comes out of that. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think you covered the strategic analysis. I'll give you the... Uh the not-so-strategic analysis, which is I am committed to the Tigers as a fan and with a rebuild and as a season ticket holder. But, you know, that aside, you know, this is one of those things, like, for a lot of folks in 94, won't watch any of it, don't, won't care, just dumb, dumb. You actually impact games being played this year, partial work stoppage, uh, you know, through, you know, the meat of the regular season. I'm not talking about a couple weeks of spring training. I'm talking about not starting the season in late March. You do that or, God forbid, you do something, you know, 
more elongated, I'm done. Don't care. Won't watch the World Series unless the Tigers are in it. And I'll just shut down and not care. It's just so absurd. It's so ridiculous. Baseball is determined to remove itself from its historic place in America's pantheon of sports. They are determined to ruin it. And they're right on the right track. So with these stupid rules, ridiculous, pointless lockout, like just worthless. It's just so frustrating. It's just, it's so irrelevant. Like it just, they're just so determined to be irrelevant because nobody even gives a shit about the lockout. Nobody even cares. Like when the NFL goes down this road and they will soon, it is going to be plastered over every newspaper and every website, like all day, every day. Nobody even cares. You know, and I think that's where the tone deafness of Rob Manfred is so overwhelming because that's not the first one that I've heard to go, I'm done with baseball if they can't figure this out. You know, people that I know that have been watching baseball for longer than we care to admit at this point who have said, we're on the precipice at this point. You figure it out. You get those guys on the field in a timely manner and you stop because again, I, and, and Brandon makes a great point. You're, you're already teetering on the edge of being a, a non-entity in many ways uh, and, and not gathering the interest that you necessarily should have be getting. Um, and, and you're completely ignoring your part, uh, you're, you're the uh, almost at risk of you being completely removed from the landscape if you haven't been already in a lot of ways, right? And that's where it's just it, it's so it, it's just unbelievable, and especially very disappointing as we have endured quite a period here of of um not so good baseball here in Detroit. And now it seems like there's, you know, finally some traction and now you're going to pull this, you know, joke. And I, I, I just, it's it, uh, it a very, very tone deaf approach to this. No question about that. And, you know, to that point in 94, when there was the work stoppage and, and I've been a huge baseball fan my whole life, I stopped watching baseball. I didn't watch baseball for three years at that point. Um, that's how disgusted I was, um, with that. And like you said, Brandon, how much I've invested into the Tigers over the years. Um, I'll still go to baseball games. I like going to baseball games, but it absolutely will change. And I, and I'm a, I'm fanatical about baseball, at least I gotta be in the top 10%, you know, and it it just, I can't, I can't do it. And, you know, the, the, what, what what gives me the least, what, what gives me anti-hope, you know, what makes me sad is reading articles by Ken Rosenthal, who is so great and was, of course, unceremoniously uh, dismissed after he wrote a mildly critical article of Rob Manfred last season. He was benched for months and then they didn't renew his contract at the end of the years, the technicality of how it played out. But um but, but it just goes to show what we're dealing with. His, you know, Rosenthal wrote, at present, the talks between the parties still amount to theater, a kabuki dance of proposals and counterproposals that neither side is taking seriously. And it's like, are, are, are you serious? Like, how, how can you do that, you know? So I don't know. 
you, just don't know. You bring up one another thing too is that I think the one uh, another significant problem. While I think Manfred is the absolute worst problem, and of course the owner's not doing anything about it, but it seems like the players, while some of the things that they're going after, they haven't had the appropriate leadership in their union of going and telling guys, we need to get a little more real here. And, and unfortunately, they went super passive when they shouldn't have, and there's still a lot of tone deafness with the player association too. And that's where I, I get very concerned when the deafness tone deafness is on both sides. Sure. Sure. No matter about that. So that's going to be the big thing that we'll be watching in the baseball world. Obviously it would be doubly disappointing in that. I, I think it should be an exciting season for the tigers. Should it be played? Um, signing of Javier Baez was terrific. Um, interesting to see how Avila's approaching this stuff with the opt-outs and what have you. Um, I think we're going to be seeing more of that kind of stuff um, in making the hard decisions that he has to make, um, you know, not offering the contracts. And I think we talked about that uh, prior, but um, definitely excited to see what they put on the field this season. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's – I was also – you know, he's playing with fire. And, I, you know, I appreciate with those opt-outs, in my opinion, um, because if both of those guys overperform, they'll both be gone. Um, so, you know, but at the same time, he's also not locking us into Jordan Zimmerman, um, you know, crazy – all the crazy contracts we've just slogged through over the past five years. So um, I like the signings. I like where they're going. So – and 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 it's it's attractive to those players. It's a reason to choose Detroit over someplace else because yeah. they know if they overperform, they just go right back out to the market. But they've still got security if they don't, or if they just really like it and they're like, you know what, I like it here. I'm making good money. Cool. I mean, it's a win-win for the player. And we've talked about how. The last time the Tigers had a resurgence, they had to overpay. They had to overpay for Pudge. They had to overpay for Ordonez. This is, I think, a measure of that overpayment, but that's okay. So, Oh, and I, I mean, when you compare the contract to Javi Baez signed versus what was being talked about by Carlos Correa, I'll take the Javi Baez thing 11 times out of 10, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I, I mean... I, I thought, you know, give that front office credit. And I'm wondering, too, there's been a little bit of, you know, rumors and speculation that they might be in contending for, for Freddie Freeman, who, I mean, wow, if you're able That'd to bring in amazing. a Freddie Freeman, I mean, that that really, really changes. I mean, we were optimistic about this organization going into the season. If you're able to go out, you front in a hobby bias, that, you know, and I think he, there's a lot of, of kickback with him. I think a large part of they had to do with him being the Mexico organization. Uh, we'll have to see how that works out. But if you're able to bring in a guy like Freddie Freeman and you're able to get some of these guys to come up, wow, wow, wow. I mean, you're really, you're putting yourself right there contending for the Central at that point. Yeah, I mean, Fred, the Freddie Freeman thing, I, that would be extraordinary. I don't know what the likelihood of it, uh, is of Correct. it. Correct. I have, in all honesty, since the, the day of the lockout, completely stopped caring and looking at any any piece of article anywhere regarding anything baseball. 
Um, what I will, I will push back a little bit. I mean, I texted Justin that I wanted Baez the night before they signed. And so don't, do not misinterpret my comments. However, I would have been perfectly fine with them signing Correa to a 10 year, $300 million deal without hesitation. Javi Baez has some significant statistical flaws. Significant. Yes. I mean, Mike Valeni tore him apart from a sabermetric standpoint on a segment. I mean, it's worth listening to. Tore him apart. I mean, there's some significant statistical flaws in Baez. With that said, he's the guy I wanted because I didn't think they were going to be in the Correa market. And I didn't want them to overpay for Seager or Story. Correct. But I, w- I will just say, if they signed Correa to a $300 million plus deal, wouldn't have minded one bit. I think he's that good. Oh, well, I'll tell you something, though. If the contract of Javi Baez allows you to go out and get a guy like Freddie Freeman, then... Not arguing and I, and, and, and I've sworn off Mike Valeni for two years, so I'll, I'll take your word for it. So uh, what I want to say about that is the reason why I wanted Baez was because we could get him for this kind of contract. He had some massive holes in his swing, some off-the-field stuff too. Um, you know, th- there was talk years ago that we could have traded for Baez. Um, didn't want to. He was not one of the guys that I wanted us to trade for. Um, but given the market, he seemed to be the right guy. My big concern with Correa Great. is he's not going to be around for 10 years. And he doesn't have the pedigree of like a Cabrera who we gave a, a ridiculous contract to um, right. to warrant it. Now, that's what the market's paying. Well, hey, it is what it is. And I wouldn't have blamed them for doing it. But certainly... I was I was happier with the bias sound for that reason. And, and I am in total agreement on the terms, taking a more measured approach. Uh, you know, the Korea deal would have probably had even less favorable terms in terms of things like the opt-outs and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a 100% happy with the bias signing, but I I don't think it's fair to discount the the potential that impact Korea could have on the team. For sure. Yeah, they made that. I- I really have to disagree. I look at Korea's stats. I know they're they're, they're very good, but they're not, I, in my mind, franchise impacting stats at this point. I really, I, I, and especially when someone tells me a shortstop, and I look back at the history of shortstops, I, I'm perfectly, I am beyond fine with the Hobby Baez contract because I don't think. That and I, I and I know that Carlos Correa is not. I I just in my bones I know he's not going to be the franchise impacting player. I think you could wait a little bit, even next season, next off season, to for to to throw out that money for franchise impacting players who you are absolutely going to get a return on value on. But yeah, I, I you know I. I heard the aforementioned radio host. I guess he was opining for that, and the little and I tried to read about what exactly his argument was, and it was weak at best. Well, I mean, let's separate. Well, you have to separate the two things. Like his argument about bias was not weak; it was completely grounded in statistics. No, 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 no. That's fine. His reasons for wanting Correa, you know, I maybe didn't catch necessarily that segment. Um, I think part of this is recognizing what the cost of doing business in the MLB is now. I mean, but if you're telling me that everyone that gets a 10 year deal is a franchise impact, that's not how this works anymore. 
Corey Seager is not a franchise impacting player. You got about 32 million. Like this is, this is the way the business is done. Like you want the top two or three shortstops in MLB, which Correa is right now, unquestionably. That's what you pay. Period. Baez is not one of the two best shortstops in the major league baseball. Not even close. So all I'm getting at, and Brandon, I think you and I are almost on the same page from the standpoint that we're wanting impactful players to come on here onto this team. I'm fine with kind of putting, you know, kicking the can down the road a little bit with the shortstop position and looking at other positions like the first base, like the outfield, where I believe that your money that you're going to spend will in fact bring in someone who's franchise impactful. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think, and this is the, the really the bigger conversation though, is in order to win a world series, you have to do this a couple of times. Like there have to be a couple of massive contracts in order to get yes. a world series these days. So, I mean, you know, it's unlikely they're going to sign Freeman. Right. So the large part of their spending is done. And two significant contracts, they spent some money, you know, and they were, I'm just very happy with both signings. They're going to have to keep bringing out the checkbook if they want to win a World Series. And okay. that means there's going to be another $200 million contract, maybe a $300 million contract in the next one to three years um, in order for them to compete. And, you know, if it's a, a first baseman, a third baseman, an outfielder, I'm cool with that. I am, I'm totally fine with that not, you know, spending everything on Correa, but in order to win a World Series, you might have had to have signed Korea and then done it again the next year and spent another $250, $300 million. Because that's that's what the makeup of these teams are. Like, and, and again, I'm fine with giving the big contract. I just didn't think the shortstop position was the one where I wanted to drop that money. Yeah, and oh, by, oh, by the way, I will tell you I'm dead wrong on something I said before. I said give an open check to Max Scherzer and just let him put it down. But now that I know what an, an empty paycheck or a blank check looks like, uh, I'm rescinding that. The, the, that contract <laughs> was ridiculous. Yes. So I, I'll admit. But, but, I mean, that's what, but I think that speaks to my point. This is what teams are doing. It's insane. Absolutely. But it's in the insane. meantime, they're sitting here at crying poor, too, which I just. Correct. I, I don't. You can't cry poor and give Carlos Correa $350 million. I'm sorry. True. And therein the true story. Therein lies the rub. I mean so let's just hope that that baseball gets their heads out their asses. I I, I mean that's really the, the the crux of this. I did want to touch on um hockey real quick, uh the NHL um and uh the Red Wings They've been fun to pay attention to. I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of games, uh, but have watched some highlights and stuff like that. Um, again, I am wildly a fan of draft picks that Iserman has made in his time. Um, Raymond and Sider are potentially going to be two of the big names in the NHL for a long time to come. Raymond slowed down a little bit, but again, that should be expected. Um, Dylan Larkin has been just tremendous. Tyler Bertuzzi has been outstanding. Um, and when you when you get those young players like that uh, going, and I mean, 
even the older young players um, are 24 and 25. Boy, am I excited for where this team's going to be in a couple seasons. They are proceeding down this rebuild in a textbook path with all signs pointing up. This is exactly the kind of year that you were expecting from that you'd want them to have a year in which they are, you know, flirting with a playoff spot, maybe not likely to get it. We'll see how things shake out, but any, anything season season standpoint that has this team over 500 at the end of the year. Oh boy. I mean, when you're playing almost all young 20 somethings and you're, and you're competitive uh, with more talent on the way, then you are, you are doing just fine. Yeah. And, and the goalie play that they've had, not including last night, uh, has been definitely significantly <laughs> better. Oh, that was a rough one last yeah. night. But um, but to, to go out and get the goalie play that they've been getting is very key. I think Tyler uh, our, uh, Larkin has, um, uh, what, six overtime goals in that already. I mean, in a very young career with the number one Red Wing having 10, I think that that's uh, you know, pretty notable. Larkin is definitely the real deal. We've talked about him evolving the last couple of years mm-hmm. on this show, and it appears that he has finally arrived. And now it's, you know, and of course, now the, the uh, trade deadline comes up, and I'll be very curious about what type of uh, wizardry uh, the uh, um, Iceman is able to pull off at this point. Because so. because clearly he can pull the wool over the eyes of other general managers based on some of the trades. I, it's been right. just shocking. You know, one, one question I have, and I mean, maybe it's a little early in the season, but I know we on this show have been rather critical of Jeff Blaschel. Has any of that, um, uh, your opinion, uh, whether you, Brandon, or Justin, has that changed at all as far as how this team is playing and what your thoughts are in terms of Blaschel and, his, and the long-term potential uh, p- potential that he, he'll be staying on as the head coach? Um, I would say, from my standpoint, and I was pretty heavily against him, you know, uh, to me now he's in a period where my question, this this means that he should have another couple of years, is can he get them to, you know, a deep playoff run? Is he capable of doing that? And he is, I think, you know, if things continue, he's earned the opportunity to try that. Um, you know, I don't know that he's that guy, but he's earned the opportunity to try, and I trust Eiserman. So uh, if Eiserman thinks that he's the guy, then uh, go for it. And, and that's my opinion exactly. I mean, we always thought he was a – pretty solid development guy. Um, we knew the team was just overmatched. I mean, it, it didn't matter who was behind the bench. It really didn't. Um, but clearly, he does something right with young players. He certainly did in Grand Rapids. I mean, he had a great track record in Grand Rapids. Right. So f- for that reason, I see absolutely no reason to make any change in the next couple of seasons. And I agree with Brandon that if, if he continues, the team continues to improve, then he deserves every opportunity. And I wonder, because of the roster turnover, if we've seen it where basically Eichmann thought, you know what, Blaschel didn't have a whole lot to work with, and we got to give him a little bit more time to kind of show what he could do with a little bit of young talent. I, and I, that's another takeaway I have. So Yeah, I think that's right. For sure. So with that said, um, did you guys want to jump into the Pistons at all, talk a little Kate Cunningham? Uh, that team needs to learn how to play defense. That's all. I mean, they're. I mean, defense in the NBA is terrible. 
but they're beyond terrible. And part of it too, uh, we did talk about OU uh, and and some of their struggles uh, in college basketball as a whole with um, uh, potentially with COVID. I think one, but uh, I think with the Pistons right now, they're a team extremely young. I think that uh, there's a burnout factor with the first year guys from last year, uh, Bay um, Isaiah, along with um, uh, Killian Hayes. Uh, and I think that those are especially with them, uh, the first two playing with the Olympic team and then playing very late, uh, a late condensed schedule without basically no summer off. Um, and then heading into a season, it's been very hectic in my mind with the NBA, that that has definitely hampered them quite a bit. Uh, and uh, But at the same time, um, Brandon, my one big takeaway with Kate Cunningham on this team, and you looked at that young nucleus as well, uh, that um, this is a team that desperately needs a, a move to kind of uh, reshape the roster a little bit. Yeah, I think you you nailed it on the head. Um, that that's really what is missing right now. And they tried to make a trade for uh, Bobo, um, and that actually frustrated. It ended up falling through because uh, he didn't pass the physical. But I was actually kind of frustrated by it. Now on paper, they won that trade. Um, but I'm just this kind of like utility drawer style of guys they've got, like they need to make some decisions. Like they've got guys that are just chewing up minutes and I think they're trying to see where they can catch lightning in a bottle, but it's not going to happen. They need to make a move or two that fundamentally restructures the roster either now or through the draft. And so that's why I think the thing to watch is what, what do they do with Jeremy Grant? Because, that's the one move they can make right now that would tee them up for a structural shift that I think Adam rightly says they need. Um, and then, you know, I've been harping on it almost too early, even McKillian Hayes. I just don't think he's got it. I don't think he's got it. I, I think he needs a change of scenery. Uh, and I think they need to try to extract as much value out of him from a trade standpoint when the time is right. And it won't be this year because he's just not produced enough to garner value. He will get better. Uh, he will be an NBA player, but they've just got too much, too, too many like guys clogging that roster, clogging the minutes up. Kane Cunningham's the point guard. Killian, they're just stop trying to play games and be cute and have Hayes and Cunningham out there, figure out what to do with Hayes, move him on, you know, and then really think about on the front line, you know, what are you going to get in the draft or through trade? Um, that's going to re- fundamentally, to Adam's point, reshape the roster. And that that point, by the way, the how their roster is got completely highlighted in that game against uh, Utah last night. I yes. mean that 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 was a quintessential example of basically exposing the roster for what it is, and that's, that's uh, and and that's where you got to start bringing in guys. There's certainly. Uh, taller more like you said more more front line and 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 just guys that are going to be able to be more physical uh because any sort of physical game for this team it's ugly and it's ugly quick and and that really and i I can't believe i'm saying it again this is the second time i've complimented mason Plumley uh in the last three months but i mean like they actually miss his big body out there like kelly olnick does not bring that he's a big guy but he doesn't bring that physicality but it's just diallo Frank Jackson, Corey Joseph, Josh Jackson, Cassius Stanley, Derek Walton, Killian Hayes. They're the same guy. Yeah. All the same guy. And there's like six of them. And and on any given night, one of them might score 20, but the other two are like, look like morons on defense or whatever. 
Like, it's, well, and, I'll, and, and you've got to do something because if, if you're able to kind of get this roster a little better, then Kate Cunningham is able to do a lot more <laughs> on the court you know, in, in terms of being able to kind of navigate, uh, you know, to the basket and dish And he's progressing right well. And, and Sadiq Bay is starting to turn it over. And I think you make another good point about the fatigue uh, with Bay. He's starting to turn it around. He's a long-term piece. He's not, you know, a franchise guy, but he's a, a, a start, an NBA starter, I think. So um, yeah. much like how Larkin was able to come into his own with the right talent around him, the same is going to be true for Cunningham. His true potential is going to be revealed. He's not a LeBron James. He's not a Kobe Bryant. He's, you know, he's not a Kevin Durant. Like, but he's the next layer down, right? And so that means that once you get the the nucleus around him, you'll see, you know, something special. Okay. With that said, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap things up for this edition. Um, should probably say that John Madden passed away. Now they got those gloves. Um, just, just, just to harken back to whatever Madden game that was or seven Madden games in a row, but, uh, he passed away not that long ago. Um, and, uh, yeah. Any last thoughts before we get out of here? Tomorrow, Super Bowl, Bill's Chiefs, whoever wins that wins the Super Bowl. Period. Of a what will probably be one of the worst playoff seasons in the NFL in a long time. Unwatchable. The games have not been great. <laughs> and they will continue to not be great. Yeah, I am mildly interested in the Rams-Buccaneers game tomorrow. And, of course, I'm interested in both games tomorrow. But the games today, I'm like, mm, nah. That's where the internet's fun, because I can just go and check the box score. That's true. That is true. All right, that'll wrap it up for this week. Hopefully we'll uh, get into a better cadence uh, for getting these out there, and we can talk some uh, Super Bowl the next time we're uh, we're doing this and see how the seasons are progressing, and we'll see if maybe, just maybe, there'll be uh, spring training this year as well. And, of course, uh, see how Oakland season is progressing also. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee, and thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium.